It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 128, we discuss our opinions about the latest controversies about VAR, the highs and lows of the Women's World Cup coverage so far, thoughts on Copa America coverage from Telemundo versus ESPN+, who's watching the Gold Cup, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, Kartik Krishnair. Kartik, um, we missed last week's podcast because you were on vacation, well-deserved vacation, uh, still watching uh, you mean, the Women's World Cup, I'm sure, while you were away, as, as I yep. was. And uh, we got a lot of uh, feedback from listeners, um, a lot of them kind of uh, saying that they were jonesing for the uh, podcast on the Thursday and it, it was a normal listen on their commutes and a lot of people uh, sharing their thoughts and uh, wishing you a good uh, holiday, but also saying like, hey, I, I can't wait for the podcast to be back. So, so I'm glad to be ta- talking to you today, Kartik. So real quickly, so what was your highlight of your trip uh, out west? So my highlight of my trip was going to Royal Gorge, um, the, uh, the 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 world's highest, or it actually was the world's highest suspension bridge, 955 uh, feet above the water. Until the Chinese have now built about 10 that are higher, but uh, until 2003, it was the world's highest suspension bridge. That was the thrill. Um, but uh, I have to say that everything I did on the trip revolved around continuing to watch the Women's World Cup. I booked this trip, uh, specifically the dates I did, so that I would see the first U.S. group game and be back in time for the Sweden game. Knowing the Sweden game was the biggest match, uh, U.S.-Sweden, one of the biggest rivalries, if not the biggest rivalry in women's football. Um, that, that having been said, um, I still was so drawn into the tournament that uh, – I ended up making the arrangements for my family about when we visited certain attractions based on when Women's World Cup matches were taking place. The good thing being out west, Chris, is that the kickoff times are so early there that uh, it really didn't interfere that much. Now, speaking of the thrills, Kartik, uh, VAR. I mean, VAR has been such a talking point this week. And I I know you posted something on Twitter, uh, I think, the other day about whether or not VAR has uh, impacted the, your coverage or, or impacted viewers' coverage or thoughts about the Women's World Cup in, in a positive or negative way. What was the reaction most from, from most of the, uh, the followers on, on your Twitter account? 
it was split. So the the question I asked was, has VAR ruined your Women's World Cup experience as a viewer? Uh, I'm not asking your opinion of VAR, whether it's necessary, whether it's here to stay. We know. I think we know it's here to stay. Uh, and um, it, it, there were several triggers on me asking this question throughout the group stage. The final straw being uh, the Wendy Renard uh, penalty that was saved against Nigeria. A Nigerian keeper is, is deemed to have come off the line, right? Um so if from that match on Monday, uh, which was uh, after a weekend of VAR controversy, before the Scotland VAR controversy, which I think everybody listening to this podcast now knows about Scotland-Argentina, similar actually situation with the keeper coming off the line early. Uh, but now, VAR was brought in to, as some of the, the people who um, – responded to my tweet, uh, have said, VAR, they, they thought was brought in to correct clear and obvious errors. They did not think VAR was brought in to look at every single uh, potential incident in the area and, uh, and, and slow down the match. And, and, and it's grinding to a halt a lot of the matches uh, because of this. I listened to BBC Five Live uh, yesterday after the England and Scotland matches, and uh, there were a host of callers calling in Concerned about VAR, and keep in mind, just keep the perspective that Scotland had just been uh, denied a victory against Argentina because of VAR. Although you could say that it it's uh, evens things out because Nigeria similarly would have had a, a point, and uh, and Scotland would have gone through even with a win had uh, um, Nigeria not lost that point that they that they at that point had earned against France because of VAR controversy. So uh, VAR like officiating decisions, maybe everything's evening out over the course of a tournament. But that having been said, Chris, tons of people called into to BBC Five Live just saying this is terrible. This is ruining my viewing experience. Uh, I can't believe the Premier League is going to do this. Um, there was one guy who called in at the end of Five Live who said what I've kind of said privately to people, which is uh, he watches the Bundesliga. He's English. He watches the Bundesliga and he says they've gotten it right. They finally they They've gotten to the point now that they, since they've had VAR uh, for for uh, two seasons, that uh, the um, the people watching in the monitor in Cologne will be in the ear of the referee and tell the referee we've made it kind of made a decision uh, on this. You don't really have to look at this, and it's done in in 15 seconds. Where and that's the way Howard Webb. Speaking of the Premier League, has implemented it in MLS. The problem with the VAR and the Women's World Cup or the FIFA VAR, uh, and as I said, getting a host of complaints split about 50-50, is that the referee every single time is running over to the monitor and it's taking a minute, minute and a half, two minutes. Um, it's impacting calls. Calls are getting reversed. Um, and quite honestly, it's breaking up the flow of the match. So even, you know, this came up again on Five Live. Uh, Scotland against England, we we think of it as a dominant English performance. But really, the first 10 minutes, it was very even. Scotland looked pretty good. Kim Little was bossing the match in midfield until... until there was this call, which um, took place after the ball was cleared and was a very liberal interpretation of the handball rule, which we know FIFA wants now. But just summary, Chris, uh, everybody is talking about VAR. Um, maybe it's it's um, triggering more interest in the Women's World Cup. Who knows? But uh, which is one of the callers theories on on uh, five live. My theory is that FIFA wants more scoring. So they've made a very liberal handball rule and then instructed referees uh, 
to, uh, to to consult with VAR anytime there's any sort of uh, handball, any sort of implication of a handball in the area, and that they've instructed ARs not to put their flags up so that they could uh, keep players on side. I'm still confused by the Sam Kerr call, the Brazil-Australia uh, match from, I guess, a week ago now, how she is not uh, impacting play and how that's deemed uh, a player. A legal own goal for Brazil, but um, I guess VAR is here to stay, and it's creating all kinds of. It's the overriding talking point of this tournament. Yeah, to to, to me, that the issue is is that uh, a clear and ob- obvious error. It, it, it's subjective because I mean, what is what is a clear and obvious error? Is is it two inches? You mean is it a foot? Is it is it like a yard? What is it? Because in the case of the, the penalties. I mean, so, so in terms of our overall, uh, it's going to get most of the decisions correct. It's going to get some wrong. Um, we've seen this in the Women's World Cup already, where there were some calls. The, the Korea game was w- w- one example where they got that completely wrong. But in terms of penalty kicks, to me, that's been really too too petty because it's one of those things that uh, with the naked eye, in a lot of these instances, it'd be very difficult to tell that the goalkeeper actually had left the line when the ball was kicked because it happened so quickly. Uh, the referee and, and officials have to be looking even at the ball and the goalkeeper at the same exact time. So VAR is something that can actually help with that. But I don't think VAR should be being used in this instance. Going back to what you said about uh, BBC Live and, and kind of top the discussion there, well, the Premier League has announced this morning that um, when it launches VAR uh, this season, it will not allow VAR to be used to judge whether a goalkeeper has uh, stepped over the line or not. It's down to the referee. And, and that's the way it should be because otherwise... Every little split decision, whether it's a penalty kick or other things, and you're going to go down to the very inch or, or centimeter, um, you mean it's ridiculous if all would be used on that, unless it was unless there's a ball, whether the ball had crossed the line or not, and in that case, you, usually it's um, they're tapped up with the with the, the watches so they can actually decide that. That's important, but for, from a penalty kick, I, I hope that FIFA. Steps in and says, "You know what? We were kind of looking at uh, these first round of games in the Women's World Cup, and we see that VAR is going a little bit too far of what it was intended to do. Uh, we're going to make a decision for the rest of the tournaments that we're not going to use VAR on on the penalty kicks and whether the goalkeeper stepped off the line or not." Okay, so two really good points you made, Chris. One is that uh, the general consensus is that this has added an extra layer of subjectivity to uh, to the game, and we, we, we there's been complaints that uh, officiating is too subjective to begin with, and a lot of those people said, well, you know, VAR will fix that because it, it, it's cut and dry, right? It's it's very uh, black and white these calls. Now we're realizing that in theory that was true, but now in practice maybe it's not true, right? Maybe it's uh, uh, it, it's adding an extra layer of subjectivity and more controversy and more feeling of injustice. Second point you make about the Premier League, very well taken because yesterday, as I said, I was listening to 606 and uh, some other five live programming and the uh, the calls were, you know, I think the hosts were expecting to discuss uh, uh, Phil Neville's squad rotation and England, you know, uh, getting another result, but, you know, looking kind of 
lackluster at the time uh, with it and 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 the, the squad decisions of Phil Neville to rotate so heavily instead the entire show 606 ended up being about VAR and about oh my gosh it's coming to the Premier League this year um and what's happened to Scotland here is is unjust you know if if you do that uh, and one caller actually asked well when we get to the knockout stage of this tournament is VAR going to be looking at penalty kick shootouts yeah if we have draws after 120 yeah. minutes and then re- having them retake and then our keeper's going to get sent off because they get a caution when they come off their line are we going to end up having to swap keepers in the middle of penalty shootouts what how do they legislate for that so um well, well, i think a- the issue is var in theory was a great idea but implementation has been clunky to say the least so, so going back to the initial question about whether var has impacted a viewer's uh, experience as, as you mean turn them off the women's world cup or not I, I think personally it hasn't impacted me at all other than it got, it's gotten me uh, upset at times. Uh, other times kind of uh, glad that they have VAR in place. But I think when it happens to your own country, I can see fans going absolutely nuts and crazy. Like I can see fans in Scotland uh, who are watching the Women's World Cup saying that's it. I mean, I, I'm not w- watching the rest of the tournament because this VAR has, has ruined, ruined uh, the game or ruined Scotland's chances of going through. Imagine what would happen in a penalty shootout if the U.S. women's national team was in a penalty shootout and a penalty that uh, the U.S. saved is disallowed because the U.S. goalkeeper was a few inches off her line when the ball was kicked. And the retaken penalty kick was then scored, and then that team advances to the next stage of the tournament or, or wins the Women's World Cup. You can imagine there'll be millions of Americans up in arms. I mean, it'd just be, I mean, not riots, and, and streets, that, but and, pretty close and, to and it. And I think the issue is, and I hate to keep bringing this up on the show and it'll get a lot of our listeners angry, is that uh, American fans, more than any set of fans, have pushed this idea of technology. They're comfortable with stoppages because of American sports, they're comfortable with two, three-minute reviews uh, a place to make sure, quote, the call is right and all of that. Uh, that is not the way it works in Europe or in South America. So um, I, I think culturally this is this VAR thing is very difficult. When, As I said, when I've listened to these call-in shows in the UK, and it's not – yesterday it was off the charts because it was Scotland that was impacted. But previously it had been Brazil, it had been uh, South Africa, and it had been Nigeria. And it was a similar reaction in, uh, in the UK. It's like, ah, VAR is making this tournament very far and, and then you would you would also get the uh, the reaction that okay it's adding an extra layer of debate so maybe and it, the the funny thing is Chris is it impacting people's viewing experiences it seems like um, at least half of my followers said yes um, and people calling into five live is it turning them off the tournament not really they're just talking more about it but um, the point being that I think culturally Americans are more accepting of this sort of thing than other people although. On the Fox set, um, it seems like the analysts there, because they're all former footballers, um, have had a, a real. And I remember specifically the South Africa Spain match. Remember the first that was the first weekend of the tournament. Um, seems like an eternity now. But uh, Heather O'Reilly and uh, whoever else was on the set that day, very critical of 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 kind of um, the length of time it took to review. Uh, uh, those uh, those decisions and that South Africa was in a very kind of uh, defensive block, right? They were up one nil uh, improbably and were trying to defend for their lives. And that um, not only did the calls go against them because of VAR and uh, and 
I think maybe it was Heather O'Reilly said both to her were, 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 were kind of questionable, uh, but it just broke up their flow of, of their their defensive concentration. And you just never get that back because the the delay had been so long. So I think for former footballers, it's very different, even if they are Americans. But, um, yeah, if a call went against the U.S., let's see how the reaction would be, because I think so much of technology in the game is and I hate to bring it up again. And again, again I'm probably going to get a lot of bad feedback from this. Is it Americanization? Because Americans are comfortable with stoppages in sports, whereas Europeans and South Americans are not. Yeah. And the last thing to say about this before we move on to talk about some of the the TV coverage is that uh, at the end of the day, most of the VAR decisions have been correct. So even even in the Scotland game, by the letter of the law, uh, in terms of what the referees are going by, that decision was a correct decision, even though it was it's petty, even though it was it it was a gut wrencher for, for Scotland. It is the correct decision. So at the end of the day, but then at the end of the day, what do you lose from that? What do you? What, what are we missing? And, and what we're missing is what the game was like before, just a couple of years ago versus now, uh, where there were bad decisions being made and there was lots of controversy. Now we're getting controversy because the right decisions are being made for the most part. Um, so <laughs> you, you, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Now, now, speaking of Fox's coverage, Kartik, uh, you mentioned uh, Heather O'Reilly and, and the Women's World Cup so far. We haven't had a chance to discuss this yet. Uh, this is the first time we're doing this. Other than your article, which is a great article on WorldSoccerTalk.com about your first impressions of the opening weekend of Fox's coverage. Um, let's talk about the pros first before we talk about any of the cons. But for me personally, um, the pros, this coverage has felt like the Olympics or, or, or the Wimbledon tennis tournament. It's very laid back. It's it's something that every day I'm very comfortable in terms of switching on the Fox broadcast, listening to the build-up, listening to the analysis, uh, watching the game. Um, oftentimes, I mean, a lot of the commentators are female commentators, which is great. Um, getting some of the post-match reaction, halftime. Nothing nothing really bad, but overall, it's, it's felt like a big tournament, and it's felt like something where it's uh, you kind of it's, it's almost like human nature. Every day you switch it on, you watch as much as you can, and then you move on to whatever you, you do for the rest of the, the day. Um, the production itself is very smooth. It's well done, just like in 2015. Uh, the set looks great. The backdrop of the Eiffel Tower in this case. Uh, the studio looks impressive. It looks great in HD. Um, really job well done there in terms of uh, the aesthetics. Uh, the commentators in the stadiums, and I'll mention in the stadiums, who are commentating from the stadiums, have been solid. Uh, JP De La Camera and Ali Krieger, uh, Derek Ray and Daniel uh, Slayton have done a great job uh, being there and, and really kind of um, giving you a feel for what, what it's like in the stadium uh, before the match and what the atmosphere is like and then doing really good in terms of the, the actual broadcast and commentating. And last but not least, I would say that the tone of this Women's World Cup in terms of Fox's coverage has been has been good. It's been it's been conservative, not 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 in a political sense, but it's been conservative in terms of uh, just the emotions. There's not been a lot of outrageous hot takes. Uh, it's been very watchable and listenable. Uh, and the tone that they have set has been something that's been very professional, something I can sit down and watch and not get outraged and not get uh, uh, upset about. And, and it's it's just a really good coverage that, that just pulls you in and, and keeps you going. What about you, Kartik? What are some of, your, the, the, so the, some of the pros that uh, you've seen from what you've seen this far? 
Well, I would say um, the coverage has been very good. I've been hooked on it. I did not watch much of Fox during the Men's World Cup last year. I thought it was very kind of patronizing and just very, very sloppy and all over the place. Uh, I stopped watching U.S. Men's National Team matches if the, on Fox. If uh, Fox uh, FS1 has the broadcast rights, I watch the matches on Univision. Uh, that's It's been pretty simple now for two years. Um it, 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 to me, there's an insecurity about Fox, who promotes everything U.S. Uh, when it comes to the men's game. They know the U.S. isn't terribly relevant. I, they know people really don't care about the men's national team. Those who do care don't think the men's national team product is all that good or satisfactory. So they push it. They push narratives. They push um, uh, hubris. They push uh, jingoism, etc. They push um, uh, uh, narratives that are completely false about the U.S.'s competitiveness, about the quality of U.S. players, about the quality of Major League Soccer, the impact of American players in Europe. All these narratives uh, are are oftentimes exaggerated by those at Fox when it comes to the men's national team. When it comes to the women, very different. They're very secure about the U.S.'s place in the world, uh, which is at the very top of the game. They are uh, committed to covering the opposition, the, the, the top opposition for the United States, and in this tournament would be the likes of France, uh, Germany, England, Australia, etc. Um, maybe Italy now emerging as a bit of a power in the women's game after 20 years of not qualifying for this tournament. So they're very they're very balanced in that sense. Uh, they are much more comfortable talking about the impact of other countries in, in, in the sport. They've been much more comfortable about talking about uh, FIFA issues and issues around the sport uh, at VAR. Um, Players skipping the World Cup, Hedenberg, others, uh, well, not others, but her specifically, um, and and equality and equal pay, then they are similar issues in the men's game. Again, because I think of some of that insecurity. So uh, as far as covering women's football, Fox is, is, is really good. I like ESPN. What ESPN provides uh, is provided on the side with uh, Seb Salazar, Kate McGrath, Julie Foudy um, as kind of ancillary ESPN FC programming that you can use to complement what you're watching on Fox because Fox still is not very heavy on tactics, right? And then you listen uh, to Seb and the crew and, and McGrath, and they're much more detailed when it comes to tactics and to uh, technical considerations about the countries. Uh, and that's been fantastic that ESPN uh, has continued those ESPN FC programs with, uh, with that crew during the uh, Women's World Cup, uh, much like they did in 2015, right? Um, so I think it's been a really good viewing experience in English language for American soccer fans, better than the Men's World Cup last year. I, I think ESPN FC was tremendous during the Men's World Cup, uh, but Fox was not. Fox has been good that you go to ESPN FC and you get you get uh, enhanced puffer coverage uh, with Salazar and the crew. The one criticism I have for ESPN, real quickly, Chris, is that uh, the ESPN FC daily program has been still more focused on Copa America and on uh, uh, European transfers. Uh, men's uh, soccer, and they've left the, the women's game to, to the uh, the special program with Seb Salazar hosting, almost like, okay, that's where we talk about the Women's World Cup. And I think that this is very much a mainstream event. Maybe ESPN, FC, ESPN strategies to appeal more to men's soccer fans, European soccer fans, through the ESPN FC programming, and then therefore they're more interested in the Copa America. Uh, but I actually think it's the Women's World Cup has become very mainstream looking at the British press this time and looking at how much uh, the Independent and the Telegraph and, and Guardian are covering it and looking at how much BBC is uh, covering it and it being free to air in the UK. Uh, so I think a lot of European football fans, even the US, who get 
you know, who used the UK media as their driver of football interest, um, are tuning into this Women's World Cup and they're tuning into it on Fox and they're probably looking for enhanced coverage from ESPN, which they're getting from the Salazar program, but not necessarily from the daily Dan Thomas program. So I want to zero in on something you, you're kind of focusing on with Fox's coverage, and, and that's the talent. And the talent um, on the women's side for U.S. coverage of soccer is so much better than the men's side. And it, you, look, you look at the, the talent that's uh, in the studio. Yes, Lalas, some people love him, some people hate him, whatever it, whatever it is. But in terms of the women that are on that set, in terms of their knowledge, in terms of their ability to have an intelligent discussion and to you know, not, go, not go off the script or not say something stupid, um, they've been on, on, on the ball almost the entire time. And actually even Rob Stone, I have to give Rob Stone a lot of credit too because um, he's improved a lot. Uh, for whatever reason, when he's on the women's set for a women's World Cup, he seems to be much better than when he's on the men's side. And and I think part of it is because of the people that are on the set with him are much stronger on the women's side. And and to give uh, Rob Stone credit, too, for that USA-Thailand game right after that game ended, which was a wrong opinion in my opinion but but it's an opinion for whatever it is he came out straight out and said this is ridiculous like the u.s should have held back they should have knocked the ball around they've won the game why keep on pushing and going for the 13-0 and the whole celebrations thing and they just went too far and 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 i like that because actually it was rob stone coming out of his shell sharing an opinion and then the rest of the crew debated it and said, yeah, Rob, you're wrong. And then, of, of course, those were all uh, professional, uh, former professional footballers that had a different take on that. But I like that because that co- created controversy. I don't think we've seen anything like that uh, since then. Uh, but, uh, but I'd rather him be authentic and true to himself and only share those, those, those strong opinions when he has them rather than just issuing them now uh, time after time again where they would get old after a while. Um, but the talent on the women's side... Has been has been fantastic, and and we'll get into the men's sides a little bit later. But uh, that that's a huge positive. That's a huge positive from Fox's coverage this time. Yeah, Chris, I, I have to point out, and and I pointed this out in my article at World Soccer Talk. I think the women commentators do a better job of actually calling uh, American commentators. American female commentators do a better job of calling a football match, a soccer match, than. Their male counterparts. Now, this isn't a a and I, you know, I call matches, so I'm one of the male counterparts, and I'm constantly told by producers to to kind of talk more, right? Um, like, like American sports, like American male sports. The female commentators that are calling um, this uh, this women's World Cup, Jen Hildreth, Lisa Byington, others are very good. They know how to call a football match. And in, in Byington's case, I was have been a little skeptical of her because she calls basketball. I've watched number of college basketball games she's called uh, on Fox and the Big Ten Network and thought, okay, she's going to overcall soccer the way she overcalls basketball. No, she's got it down. She's she's obviously watched European commentary. And it's the same thing. Well, it, Jen Hildreth's been calling soccer for, for a decade. So she 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 gets the feel of it. But they're much more and – and the uh, – the, the female co-commentators, every single one of them seem to be more um, – 
measured in what they say. They don't resort to the hyperbole we get from male American commentators. It's just been really good. Uh, and again, maybe it's because the U.S. is more integrated in, in, in the world game in, in football, in women's football than in men's football. We've led the way. I'm proud to say that. We, we're the ones who made the Women's World Cup the event it is. We, we're the ones who made women's football uh, a serious sport more than any other nation. And, and countries like France and the U.K. Uh, have come a- after us, have followed us. I mean, I, Germany is the other country that's done a really good job uh, alongside the U.S. in terms of really promoting the sport for two decades now or more. But uh, maybe it's that. Maybe in the men's game, we're so insecure. We're so into American exceptionalism. We so want to have our own thing, our own uh, our own style of, of, of everything we do with the sport that we, we, we do it differently. Um, I- it, it's just a fascinating thing to me. I disagree with you on that one, though, Kartik, too, in terms of the, the level of the women's commentators. And, and yes, for the most part, they have been good. But there's two issues. One is the major issue, which is the biggest issue, which is that most of those commentators are not in the stadiums. So be, but by not being in the stadiums, except for Ali Krieger and Daniel Slayton paired with Derek Ray and uh, JP Della Camera, they're at a disadvantage. So they're, they're watching the game from a studio, probably in Los Angeles, watching this, the same feeds that we're, we're seeing and having to react to that. And that puts them in an awkward position because there's been a several times in this, in this tournament where they have been making really strained or really, like um, I guess, ill-timed or, or poor-timed uh, uh, points on air because they don't have the hindsight of of what of what we're seeing at the same time. So, for example, there was a um, one of the games recently in the first round. There was um, an incident where the uh, I think it was Argentina and the, and the goalkeeper actually no, it was a Jamaica. Anyway, whichever game it was, but there was a penalty incident where the goalkeeper dr- jumped off the line. Um, and they had to have the the penalty kick retaken. But the announcers had no idea what was going on. They saw the goalkeeper getting a yellow card, and I think it was Lisa Byington and Kat Whitehill, but they were at a loss for what was happening. But on screen, on on the screen that all of you across the United States and around the world are seeing, it had said on their yellow card, uh, penalty retaken or something like that. So we, as the viewers, knew more about what was happening in that split instant than the commentators who were calling the game from a studio because they probably weren't looking at the screen and seeing what was on the bottom. So there's, there's been other instances like that, too, where it just it's if they were at the stadium and they could see what was happening off camera, off, off, off the, uh, the TV set, they'd be able to be better equipped to give us better calls and to pull us into that broadcast. So that that has hurt them, and and that might be something that uh, if they were in the stadium, maybe they'd be be on an equal playing field as other commentators from around the world. Um, But there's been mistakes that have been made for sure. So that that's kind of uh, that's that's been my my biggest con about this this tournament thus far is that um, in instances like that, and there's been several of like that when you don't have the commentators at the stadiums, the, the actual announcing is. Is it's it's frustrating because it's like ah, you mean they're not seeing seeing it. They're, they're what's happening off the ball, and we're missing out on that. Now, in terms of the analysis, some of the other cons, the analysis that we're getting in the studio has been decent, um, but we're not getting any in-depth analysis. We're just getting basically broad strokes um, for the most part. Nothing really deep, like a deep dive. Um, even on days where the U.S. Women's National Team is not playing. There's been a lot of kind of promos running or segments running about uh, interviews with some of the players. I'm okay with that. It's not as much of a rah, rah, rah USA as in the past. 
Um, but in terms of the in-depth analysis, which is more for a hardcore soccer uh, kind of viewer, we haven't been getting that as much. <laughs> That's where the Seb Salazar ESPN FC uh, daily special comes in because they're doing that. He's with uh, Kate McGrath and Julie Foudy, who we know are at the very top of analyzing this stuff, particularly McGrath. And uh, so that's that's enhancing Fox's coverage. Um, uh, so if you're looking for more deep dive, I would suggest ESPN FC. Again, my one c- complaint about that is that they're not doing it on the normal ESPN FC programming. It's almost like, hey, Sebastian, uh, the women's game, is that's your thing. You take it. And, and on the daily Dan Thomas program, we're going to just focus on, uh, on on men's football with a little bit of women's uh, put in there as a secondary thing. And then two more things real fast in terms of some of the cons from Fox's coverage thus far of this World Cup. And, and that is that uh, sometimes the post-match coverage on Fox, on Fox uh, finishes too quickly. Like the game might end at, say, 4.50 uh, Eastern time. Uh, they go to a commercial. They come back. They talk for a few minutes about what happens. And then they have to rush off because at 5 o'clock uh, Eastern time. Uh, whatever comes on Fox uh, comes on comes on at, at that time. So in some of the games, I think, uh, for example, at the end of the Italy Brazil uh, Australia Jamaica matches on Tuesday, there wasn't enough time to really analyze in detail the implications of all three teams uh, in that group, ending um, the group on six points and who would progress. So there was a little bit of um, confusion uh, that that resulted as as a cause of that in terms of just rushing into going through that. Uh, and we're not getting as much of kind of the, uh, the actual highlights of what happened in those games. And, and it's more talking about the main talking points. Um, and that's happened a few times uh, thus far. And I would like to see if they could switch it to FS1 and, and maybe have a half hour uh, post game mm. analysis. But, but we're not getting that because usually they go to that uh, that betting show with Rachel Bonetta, which is um, that's a whole other story. Yeah, and Chris, uh, that's a great point because that specific scenario, and I was in Boulder, Colorado, um, confused, you know, didn't have any, was relying on Fox's coverage. Brazil, Australia, Italy, what proved to be a group of death. I... I had to start asking on Twitter and, and DMing people to find out who would actually finish first in the group, second in the group, and third or third in the group. The way Italy was playing after Brazil got their penalty, I thought, oh gosh, they're now not first in the group. They're pushing for a goal. There was really no clarification about that. Now, I don't blame Fox in game for that because I think that that's what happens in these final group game matches of any tournament when matches are running simultaneously. There's confusion. You have to throw up live tables. By the time you throw up the live table, something has changed. Right. Um, So uh, and and for a while we were thinking Australia had finished third and oh, my gosh, if the U.S. beat Sweden, they might draw them. You don't want to play Australia in the round of 16. Um, I I don't blame Fox at all in game match for that. What I do uh, agree with you on is that there was no even 15 minute post-match show. They they had plainly run out of time in their allotted window and were moving on to. Uh, other programming and uh, Rob Stone was never able to take a deep breath and say, okay, uh, here is the way the group finished. Um, and here are the implications. So again, I don't blame any of the talent for that. I just think that's a, a bad programming decision by Fox. Yep. And uh, I, I got my answers. Obviously I know, I know Italy, Australia, Brazil was the final order one, two, three, but I did not know that at the time Fox uh, uh, signed off. Same here, same here. And I actually, instead of going to the social media, I think I went to, I think FIFA.com and then went through the website and then kind of went through and, and looked at the tiebreaker situation and all the different implications and found it that way but i did not find it from the tv broadcast which is uh, a huge fail 
Uh, last but not least, um, in terms of uh, some of the cons of this Fox's World Cup coverage thus far, I've received so many complaints from listeners that uh, they've had problems with the Fox Sports online stream not working. Um, I haven't been using it. I've been watching it on Fubo. But um, what about you, Kartik? Were you able to have any issue- issues uh, watching it from um, Denver? Yeah, I've had a lot of issues, actually. Um, starting the first uh, uh, the first day of the tournament, I tried to access it, which was uh, when I got to uh, – no, no. The first day I, when I got to Denver, I was fine. Then when I went to Colorado Springs the Thursday, um, I began having trouble. Now – that having been said, Chris, it always corrects itself. If you keep trying, you will get in and you will be fine for the rest of the broadcast. It's just a matter of it being clunky and I think overloaded at the start of matches. So there were a few matches on my travels uh, throughout Colorado. And part of it might be reception in in, 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 uh, in the mountains out there. But um, uh, there were times where I would try and tune into a match at the beginning of the match and I wouldn't be in until the fifth minute. That having been said, if I kept my iPad streaming and didn't log out or decide to do something else with my device during that period or my laptop or my iPad, I was fine. And I I was able to stream through. There were buffering issues. I mean, there were the usual issues, but that's uh, you get those issues with with every streaming uh, program. I think there there is an authentication issue at the front end is what I would guess. And then once that authentication issue and a lot of times it would ask me for my credentials again, even though I had just given them and had been accurate, it would send me to direct TV to log in, uh, et cetera. But once I was in, I was in. And this happened maybe three times in the in the seven days of my travel that I relied on the stream. I was watching every single day. But uh, three of the seven days, I think I got I got booted out um, and uh, had to keep trying. But that all having been said, if you really want to watch the match and you keep pushing, you get in and you stay in. Now, this authentication issue is something that I think is, is happening more and more often with, uh, with other uh, products, too. I mean, uh, Bleacher Report Live is infamous for it. Uh, NBC Sports, since the transition from gold to NBCSports.com uh, or NBC Sports app, I've seen some problems, similar problems. Fox has made a similar uh, gravitation, right, of this content yeah. from Fox Sports Go to, to the Fox Sports app. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's Maybe they're using similar technology companies or similar uh, vendors, NBC and Fox, that you're having similar issues. It's just it is annoying to the listeners. Um, And I feel you. It's happened to me several times. But if you just keep uh, persisting, you will get in and you will see the match or at least most of the match. So so Fox did uh, report on their Twitter account, which which is you mean, most people are probably not following that. But they did uh, mention on there that there were issues uh, during the opening weekend in terms of login issues, authentication issues. So it's definitely um, was a Fox issue. And for them to tweet about it, that, that says a lot. That, that means it was pretty... Uh, happening to a lot of people at that time and uh for for me personally again i haven't had any issues i've been going through fubo and the streams have been in hd great quality no problems at all um but i have heard from a lot of people that they have had issues and and continue to do so not as much as they were in the beginning of um the tournament I, i did try it one day because um Nipun Chopra, one of the former hosts of this show, said he was having issues. So I, I went through the steps that he went through. And what was happening was on the Roku, the Fox Sports stream there of a Women's World Cup game. I was able to log in, no issues. Um, but once I logged in, um, the actual quality of the stream was was 
blurry. It was kind of, it, well, it felt like it was SD, extended definition. It was not an HD stream. And I think what was happening was that uh, Fox is probably, because I'm on, on a fiber connection, is uh, downgrading the strength, the quality of that stream, probably because there's a ton of people accessing it at the same time. So there's been issues for sure. Um, my recommendation would be is if you want to watch games and you're streaming, is try to avoid the Fox Sports uh, online um, site and, and or app and try Telemundo or try Fubo or one of the other um, broadcasters that are streaming these games because uh, that's probably the better way to go. Now, Kartik, um, so that's it as far as the Women's World Cup coverage. The, the big thing for me is just the comparison between the Women's World Cup coverage on Fox versus the Men's World Cup coverage on Fox. Uh, both 2015, which we were you know, definitely uh, raving about at the time, uh, 2019 Women's World Cup on Fox, both of them have been consistently good. Yes, there's been mistakes that have happened, as there always are. But the Men's World Cup in 2018 was was a car crash. I mean, but what it comes down to, to me, is two things. Is One is the talent. The talent choices that they made for the 2018 FIFA World Cup were... Bad decisions. I mean, Ian Wright, very jokey, very kind of laughing, just taking everything off script and and just taking away the attention from what it should be focused on, which is the game, making it all about him. Uh, Kelly Smith, who was, I think, who went in with Ian on that and was kind of jokey, jokey, not serious about about the coverage. So so uh, and then. Lothar Mateus, who they signed, and then he never appeared on air. He got kicked off. Um, just a lot of bad talent decisions. There are there are there, there is talent available, uh, most of which are American, some which are not American, who are highly qualified, who would be a perfect fit for that studio set to give good, thought-provoking, serious analysis and joke about from time to time when needed. Um, but for whatever for whatever reason, they're making the poor choices, poor decisions, and um, and that's the second thing. Is it's just the tone, the tone of Fox's Women's World Cup coverage is great. It, this is the way it should be. Now apply that to the men's side. Let's let's see uh, the 2022 coverage being just as good as that by having the right people in the right positions to provide that coverage, and and maybe maybe this is a um, maybe this is something Kartik about. Um, you mean men's coverage of soccer in the United States by American analysts uh, is is not as good as women's coverage or, uh, of the women's game by female analysts. I, I disagree with that. I think there are enough men out there that are good at what they do. It's just the Fox is making the wrong decisions. Yeah, that could be true. And I also think there's just a general insecurity among uh, uh U.S. soccer-centric uh, American males. Now, the ones that are, 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 are Premier League-centric or South American-centric, it's very different, right? But there's this general insecurity that, one, uh, the U.S. is not relevant in this sport. They're not relevant as commentators because they have an American accent. And part of that is the bias of some American fans who say, oh, we prefer to listen to someone with a British accent. I bring this up all the time relative to Taylor Twelman because it seems like the, the, the if you take his accent out of the picture, 
Fisher and you're listening to what he says, he's as good as any anybody with an English accent. But there are many American fans uh, who watch the Premier League every weekend who say, you know what, this guy's an American. He never played at a high level. You know, he went to 1860, flamed out there. Uh, I'm not going to take him seriously. So there's that. And I think there's insecurity about that among some American commentators and they overcompensate for it. And I totally understand that. I totally get that. But there are insecurities that the male that many male commentators have that I don't think the females have because they're at the top of the top of the, the food chain in terms of world women's football. And I just think that maybe um, they uh, we're getting the best of the best in, in the in, in terms of the women's uh, game and the women's commentators because. Uh, there's so much more interest in this tournament historically in the U.S., whereas um, Fox and ESPN before them have had to compete with Australian television. They've had to compete with uh, two networks in the U.K. who are rights holders, uh, uh, channels in Canada. Uh, by the way, uh, Canadian coverage of the Women's World Cup has been very good. I want to uh, shout out Kaylin Kyle, former Orlando Pride player. I, I've worked with her husband, Harrison Heath, um, on, uh, with the Miami FC. They've been very good, too. Uh, but, you know, you have all these competing English-speaking countries that are really Really dialed into the men's World Cup, uh, and they're competing for talent. Whereas it, uh, on the women's side, generally the talent gravitates to the U.S. and, and, and Canada, because Canada's taken it very seriously through the years. Yeah, I agree with you, Kartik, in terms of uh, talent availability. But at the same time, I mean, this is Fox. This is one of the biggest uh, broadcasters in the world. This is one of the biggest tournaments in the world. And those talents you, you, during the 2018 World Cup, the people that were not being used, that would have been a great fit. A lot of them were on vacation. A lot of them were watching the games as, as we were for, on a TV set. So the talent is available. It's just the decision-making process. I, I don't know what they're thinking when it comes to the Men's World Cup. And maybe a part of it too, Kartik, is kind of the uh, the focus on wanting to have you mean, more of a rah-rah USA. And then with the last World Cup with the U.S. Uh, getting knocked out of the qualifying Maybe at that point they got desperate and then they were like, okay, well, who, who are we going to hire then? Because we, we're not going to have those people uh, on set. We're going to have to bring in some uh, other viewpoints. And I think they just scrambled and made some, some bad decisions. Hopefully for the next World Cup, they'll, they'll get it right. Now, well, I include Keith Costigan next time. That, yeah. He's, well, he's on vacation. He's, he's Right now he's not being used for the Gold Cup, not being used for uh, the Women's World Cup. I mean, there's, there's one example of somebody who I think will soon become an American citizen who's going through the process, who is one of the best commentators yeah. that Fox has, and he's not being used. Why, yeah, it's, why it's is that? It's inexplicable. That, that specific one, last summer, this summer, inexplicable. Yeah. All right, Kartik, um, Gold Cup. <laughs> Let's not forget about the Gold Cup. Oh. Right. So, so to, I, I'm going to be completely honest. The only game I've watched in its entirety in the Gold Cup has been uh, USA against uh, Guyana. I thought that John Strong and Stu Holden did a great job working together on this one. And I think I've I picked up some, some of the other games, too, in terms of maybe watching like 10 or 15 minutes here or there. Uh, I, at this point in the tournament, I'm not that interested. I'm not being pulled in. I, you mean... Let me know when it's uh, the second round or the quarterfinals, and, and then I'll start watching more and more. Um, but, uh, of course, this weekend, I think Saturday night is uh, USA against uh, Trinidad and Tobago game. That'll be a good one to watch. Um, Mexico, I haven't seen yet, but Mexico against Cuba didn't really enthrall me. Uh, maybe I'll watch some of the Mexico-Canada game. Um, but, 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 yeah, it's, it's, it's not of interest to me as of yet. And then lastly, but not least, uh, Copa America, Kartik. I, I know you haven't had a chance to watch this uh, tournament uh, thus far with the Women's World Cup being on. 
um, maybe this weekend. But but Copa America, it is an absolutely it's extremes. It is extremes. Like, so for those listeners who have or have not listened or watched the Copa America yet, uh, a tournament uh, yet, the tournament itself has not caught on fire as of yet, partly because Argentina has been so poor. But overall, it's not been – from a TV viewing perspective, a lot of these stadiums, especially in Sao Paulo, on Brazil – they don't look that good on television. You mean you got you got the the track around the pitch. You got the the stands that are so far back from the the actual field. This feels like watching Serie A in the last like say ten years. So, but looking at Telemundo's coverage versus ESPN Plus's coverage of Copa America, it's completely opposite. It's such an extreme. It's almost like it's a, a different sport. And what I mean by this is if you t- tune into Telemundo and watch Copa America, whoever's playing, the atmosphere, the the sound of the commentators, the passion, the excitement, you can feel it. The, the, the levels, the noise levels in terms of kind of the balance between the, the crowd noise and the commentators, it pulls you in. It's really, really good. Now, if you're lucky enough to have it in HD, even better. Uh, for me personally on, on Telemundo, I'm getting, I'm getting it in SD, uh, but it's still pretty decent. ESPN Plus has been hats off to them for acquiring the rights to the English language broadcast as well as the Portu- Portuguese broadcast of Copa America, but it's been the complete opposite. Um, Fernando Palomo and um, Alejandro Moreno. Well, I respect those two guys as analysts, and, and Fernando Palomo probably more so as a presenter, and Alejandro Moreno, who's grown on me. As a analyst on ESPN FC, uh, especially when he's talking about topics he knows a lot about, he, he's good. But as commentators, incredibly flat, incredibly flat. No excitement, no passion. Uh, also, the noise levels are, are not as good as they should be. It sounds like they're um, distant. It sounds like they're in, a, in, a, in another continent uh, broadcasting this game, which they are. They're calling it from a studio um, in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, the noise levels, you can't really hear the crowd that well, and you can't even hear them that well. And it's honestly, if you're watching the same game and you flip from ESPN Plus and then you flip over to Telemundo, it's like two completely different galaxies. They are so different. Uh, now, if you've subscribed to ESPN Plus for Copa America, I mean, it's only four ninety nine, and you get you know, all these other leagues and competitions, soccer from around the world. It's worth it in that alone. But if you haven't watched Copa America on Telemundo yet, give it a try because it's a completely different uh, you know, uh, viewing experience. Even if you, if you, like me, do not understand a word that they're saying, it is, it is so much better. And actually, Kartik, let me mention this too, really. ESPN Plus, which is very un- uncharacteristic for them, opening weekend of Copa America, I mean, you had the game on the, the Friday night, the Brazil-Bolivia game on the opener, and then you had a week- weekend game Saturday. You had two big games on Saturday, Argentina against Colombia, and, and then another one. They had technical issues. So for the first 10 minutes of the broadcast, there was all you could hear was just the... Uh, the, the, the kind of just the noise from the crowd. You couldn't hear the commentating. There was, there was no commentating. And it, they had technical issues, audio technical issues. And then about 10 minutes into the game, for two days straight, then uh, Alejandro Moreno and Fernando Palomo came in on, on the broadcast on, on the commentating. So, so that's uncharacteristically for, for, for ESPN Plus, because usually they're spot on. 
But um, yeah, de- definitely a disappointing start. And again, I, I recommend Telemundo. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, and a uh, lo- lot of news while we've uh, we've been away to uh, to catch up on. Uh, for, first off, uh, we have AT and T's Directv reportedly uh, considering a merger with Dish Satellite. I've heard lots of speculation about this the last few weeks, and uh, it would be kind of impactful. I mean, I, I you know, Chris, as a Directv subscriber, long term Directv subscriber, there has been dissatisfaction uh, amongst myself and other people I talked to since AT and T bought Directv. Now uh, it might get spin off and merge with Dish, which would consolidate the satellite Dish or the mini Dish market in the United States and maybe provide uh, more service. Uh, there are disputes, as we know, between uh, carriers and, and carriage rights and, and, and networks that co- cover soccer. So still to be seen how this how the fallout from this would occur if there were a merger. All right. Moving on, the uh, opening weekend of the Premier League, uh, the TV schedule. Uh, well, World Soccer Talk has, has the TV schedule. We've uh, released that. And on the opening weekend, it st- starts on Friday, August 9th. Liverpool against Norwich on NBCSN at the 3 p.m. Eastern kickoff. And then go through Saturday and Sunday, uh, some of the big matches to keep an eye out for West Ham against Man City, Leicester against Wolves, Spurs against Aston Villa, Newcastle against Arsenal, and the big one, Manchester United against uh, Chelsea. So if you're interested, uh, we've got that schedule in terms of uh, where it's going to be viewed on on television um, on uh, worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, uh, some big news from UEFA. We've talked about this in the past, but this is a uh, this is kind of a interesting follow up to uh, the initial news that they announced a few months ago. Yeah, so we we talked about on a previous show uh, UEFA launching uh, their free to air OTT platform, which is available in, in uh, several European countries, the Middle East and Africa. Uh, now the Bundesliga has joined, uh, so the service will include uh, Monday highlights of weekend Bundesliga matches and shows such as uh, the Bundesliga Special and their magazine programs. In addition, archives of past top Bundesliga matches and Champions League matches involving German teams will be available. Um, the Bundesliga content on UEFA TV. Will be available in European markets such as the UK, Italy, Poland, Russia, Spain, and Turkey, as well as the Middle East and Africa from the start. Uh, not in Germany, by the way, but uh, in much of the rest of Europe. Uh, what what a fantastic start! And again, Chris, finding the Bundesliga has become uh, incredibly progressive with their approach about getting the league out there. Um, I, I I can just speak as as someone who covers the sport. I get more communication from the Bundesliga about. Sp- football-related matters, not corporate-related matters, football-related matters than all other leagues combined, mm-hmm. um, it, all other top leagues. I get a lot of uh, football-related communication from USL, and credit to them for that. But all other leagues that I'm on the list of, uh, Premier League, Major League Soccer, et cetera, combined, uh, Bundesliga really pushing their product aggressively, and this is another sign of that. Yeah, and the Bundesliga getting ready to go into its last season under the current Fox contract. Uh, also, uh, La Liga getting ready to go into their last season of the contract with BN Sports. And speaking of La Liga, uh, the last uh, piece of news in our TV streaming news section today is that a uh, big controversy came out um, before, actually after we did the last podcast, is La Liga has an app. It's The app is called La Liga Live Soccer Scores. And what happened was that... Uh, the, the, I guess some, some tech wizards found out that uh, La Liga was using the app with the microphone switched on without the, the, the user knowing it to catch bars 
uh, restaurants and bars that were illegally streaming soccer. So if you're in, I don't know, Seville and, and you have this La Liga app and you have it switched on as you're going through all the scores to see what Valencia is doing or whoever's doing, uh, the microphone would be listening, would know your location and would be listening to hear if they could hear uh, streams of or, or commentating from, from a game that was not available on television. Um, so this is a, I mean, La Liga got caught with this, um, really a poor decision from La Liga. I mean, there's definitely better ways to go ahead and, and fight and combat uh, piracy. Uh, this is not the way to do it by basically tricking people to uh, have their microphone switched on and using an app that's a consumer app. So, yeah, poor move there by La Liga. All right, Kartik, uh, TV ratings. It's been a good couple of weeks. It's been some big, big numbers. Of course, the Women's World Cup has been fantastic in terms of some of the numbers that have been produced thus far. Uh, still a long way to go before we get to the point of uh, the 2015 World Cup. But as long as the U.S. women's national team keeps on winning, those numbers will increase and, and increase. But there's been a predictability about the TV view numbers for the games thus far in the Women's World Cup. Uh, we have all of the numbers at um, worldsoccertalk.com. But any Women's World Cup game that has been on the over-the-air Fox channel has gotten more than one million viewers except for two matches that came close and then any Women's World Cup game that's been on, on FS1 has gotten anywhere from 300,000 to 600,000 viewers. All good numbers. Um, what it tells me, Kartik, is that um, I think people are, just like me are tuning in um, consistently. They're tuning in just to watch. It doesn't matter who's playing unless it's the U.S. women's national team, and then those numbers would be much greater. But it doesn't matter who's playing. People are tuning in just to watch good soccer. Yeah. Um, and, and the level of playing, the playing level in this tournament has been better than it's ever been from an enjoyment level. It, it's been great. I mean, there have been very few surprises. Um, it's been pretty predictable. I mean, the tournament, to me, doesn't really start until the next round. I mean, that's when you've kind of you know, weeded out the, the weaker teams, and, and now things get really competitive. Um, and I think that will be seen, too, with, with the TV numbers. Those will be much stronger, too. Now, other than the, uh, the U.S. women's national team, uh, we got the Gold Cup. Um, and the Gold Cup, we don't have the number for the U.S. Uh, game against Guyana yet. But so far, the Gold Cup has been averaging about uh, 100 to 200,000 viewers. Uh, Copa America has been averaging, I don't have the number in front of me, but I think it's about 260,000 viewers uh, per game from Telemundo. All right, Kartik, let's move on to listener mailbag. The first one up is from Anonymous. Uh, he's got a few points to share. Number one, a lot of the focus on the World Feed discussion about the UEFA Champions League uh, final was on David Pleat, and I think it's embarrassing that he can't get the names right, which is a common characteristic in poor English co-commentators. You hear, you hear it on the Premier League World Feed a fair bit, but I also think Tony Jones is wholly underwhelming for an event the size of the UEFA Champions League final. His style is very dull, Every opening goal is, you mean Liverpool in front, or you mean basically team name in front. You don't even get the Drogba or Aguero excitement from a, another understated commentator like Martin Tyler. Uh, he goes on to say, a quick aside: I have been, I have a working theory that Martin Tyler has a scale of goals. One is a goal headed in by Scott Arfield on a Monday Night Football World commentary feed of Burnley against Brighton. Ten is Aguero. And he is probably the only commentator that actually uses his voice to pro properly accent the size of a goal, big or small. 
I love Peter Drury, but everything for him is a 10. <laughs> I am more like Peter Drury in style, but can admire that Tyler knows just the right tone, almost no matter the situation. Back to the original point, whoever produces the world feed um, used Guy Mowbray and Stuart Robson and then Martin Tyler and Alan Smith for the semifinals. That is a precipitous drop-off in quality for both the UEFA uh, Europa League and Champions League finals for me. I assume that TNT used the BT feed because they knew it was Jones' pleat and they thought that the BT feed would be better with um, Darren Fletcher and Steve McManaman and Jermaine Genus. But when it was loaded with promos, they thought better of it. Number two, I was curious what you and Kartik mean when you say that commentators in the episodes about John Strong, but also Arla White, rely too much on stats. My viewpoint is this. There are periods in a match that can be used to provide anecdotes, bits of information, and biographical information on the players and teams. I prepare a full list of them. So this anonymous person is a commentator. I prepare a full list of them, even if I don't plan to use any. I'll admit that sometimes I overuse them because I work hard to have them ready. But I'll just be curious what you mean by that. So let's take a break, a pause right there, Kartik. And um, my, my viewpoints about that, and we've, we've talked about this a lot too in terms of just the style of commentating. And there are differences between um, Latin American commentators and commentators from Africa and commentators from Europe and, and, and uh, the United States of America. My big thing about the stats is that not all, but some commentators use them as a crutch. It's, and actually, I heard this a little bit in the U.S. Uh, Guiana game, is uh, John Strong, who is, who is good, he's very good, but sometimes rather than focus on the game or add some, some, um, some uh, not, not opinion, but add some, add some uh, context to what's happening in front of him, he reverts to the stats and he's like, well, this player used to play for this, this team and he comes from this college and he did this and this and this. And to me, it takes me away from the game for a split second. I'm like, I'm watching the game. I'm, I'm absorbed in this game. I'm watching every kick. I'm watching off the ball movements. I'm, I'm in. I'm, I'm 100% into this game. And then stats are thrown out. And maybe once or twice, no problem. But over and again and again and again and again. And all those sometimes. And you almost get too much stats and that's, that's my thinking, is that um, Martin Tyler is a good example of this, as somebody that, uh, or John Champion. John Champion uses stats very, 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 um, very, very not, not very frequently at all, but he will put them in at times where you go like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that that was even a stat, that that was even a thing, whatever it may be. And, and that's my personal take on it, is that, uh, yes, use them, but use them wisely and don't overuse them because they become a crutch. And rather than having the commentator share his uh, analysis, he's just reading from uh, a piece of paper with some stats on it. What's your take on this, Kartik? Yeah, so on um, John Strong, I think, uh, as I've mentioned, he, he uses stats more in MLS matches where they're actually pushing this Audi Power Index uh, statistical uh the metric that they've created, uh, this, this what I believe is a very artificial metric, and, and uh, I hate the overemphasis of, uh, uh, about it among uh, MLS uh, MLS fans and even some media who cover MLS now uh, and U.S. men's national team matches because of the audience. Uh, when he called UEFA Champions League matches, when Fox had the rights, Bundesliga matches, he was much more restrained in his use of stats. Um, now with Arlo, so I think it's based on the audience. With Arlo White, he's using them constantly. I guess that's just his style. Um, and uh, it, it, it sometimes becomes um, 
over uh, overburdening uh, for for a listener, but maybe other people like it. Maybe again, Arlo White. We've talked about this on the show before with him. Maybe he's trying to engage American audiences into English football and feels that that's the gateway. Uh, his commentary style is certainly very different than than others who call that very same league. Uh, so I, I would say that it's it's Arlo White more than John Strong using because I think Strong picks knows his audience and is picking it based on his audience or based on uh, requirements from the uh, from the league. He's, he's broadcasting in the case of MLS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've interviewed John Champion a few times too, and his uh, his mantra is less is more, and uh, and, and I think he has he strikes a good a good balance. Now that may not that may not translate as well to an American audience, um, but that's the style I prefer. Um, I just want to watch the game. I don't want to be taken away from that game. I want to focus on the game. And yeah, if a stat has been used or if there is a, a story to tell, you I mean, there's something that, that happens with this player's background, which is, um, which is relevant to the game that we're watching. And, and there's a brief pause because of an injury or you mean, whatever was happening on, on the pitch. I'm okay with that. Just, just don't overdo it. Next up is Corey. Corey says, uh, any thoughts about the newly revamped late night sh- uh, recap show on Fox? Uh, it's done after. It's done from the LA studio, the one that Sunday night, well, a couple of weeks ago, Sunday night started with a full seven-minute segment previewing the U.S. attack two days before their opening match, instead of any of the highlights of three matches of the day. Seemed like an odd choice, but par for the course for Fox. So, Corey, I have not watched one minute of that broadcast. I mean, to me, I I don't understand why they even have this broadcast. Hopefully they're not paying the talent much money at all because it seems like a total waste. The one thing I, I have been watching or been paying, paying attention to is the viewing figures. And most of the viewing figures are low 100s uh, and, and below. So from a TV viewing perspective, it's not generating a lot of viewers. Um, maybe they feel it's a way just to, you know, for the pe- people up late at night or maybe on the West Coast, maybe it's a good way to promote the women's world cup coverage um or gold cup coverage and just it's essentially filler that's that's all i can think of it because it's really has no has no worth chris i have not watched this uh, minute of this program uh cory's criticism i think is probably on the mark because the promos for it and the one time they threw it to kate abdo and and she talked about the program it it struck me as something first of all if they're covering the quote summer of soccer and they don't even mention the copa america i know they don't broadcast it but it's as if it's not happening and then it it seemed to me to be a very u.s centric program a way of promoting the gold cup taking women's world cup viewers and pushing the gold cup on them and pushing the u.s men's national team on u.s women's national team viewers which again is a it's a larger macro issue with u.s soccer uh we've had this whole equality debate the last 10 days uh i I believe the U.S. women's national team is the driver, greater driver of interest of soccer in this country right now than the men's national team. They should not only be paid equal, they should be paid more, in my opinion. Um, This is another attempt to do that, to siphon off uh, or to take advantage of whatever viewing audience they have from the Women's World Cup and then push the Gold Cup and U.S. men's national team on them. So that was the impression I got just from the the teasers about it. And it seems based on your critique, yeah, it's very U.S.-centric. So Anthony Bello says, hi, guys, I just put on Fox for the first time in the World Cup because Derek Gray is on the call, caught some of the post-match from Spain and South Africa. Did Rob Stone just say that it is OK to kick somebody in the groin? And, and did he just say that VAR was wrong? My God, if that wasn't clear and obvious, I don't know what is. 
this is why we have VAR. Nobody should get away with kicking somebody in the groin. I never liked Rob Stone, and this confirms everything I thought about him and Fox. Now, that particular call, I don't think I saw that game, Kartik, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I remember this pretty well, and I think I referenced the, the VAR decisions and the controversies about this specific match earlier in the show. Um, I think he and Lawless were basically trying to make the case that it, that had happened outside the area. Uh, the South African player had kicked the Spanish player in that way. Outside, This is how I interpreted it. Anthony might be right. Uh, outside the area, and it were not reviewed by reviewable by VAR um, because they're not reviewing fouls in the middle of the pitch that way, that um, – it wouldn't have been a. It wouldn't have been an issue. Instead, what it was was the player was already carrying a yellow. They reviewed it. The South African player. They reviewed it. They determined um, she kicked the Spanish player in the groin. She gets a second yellow, and it's a penalty. The, the match is one-one at this time. By, uh, point. By the way, this is like the 84th minute. So it was decisive in the match. It was decisive in the World Cup for both countries. Right? Spain has advanced. South Africa has not. So. Uh, I think that was the case Stone and Lawless, who was agreeing with him, were trying to make is that uh, – well, maybe Lawless wasn't agreeing with him, but but at least Stone um, is that this was harsh. This would not be reviewed in the uh, middle of the pitch, and it wouldn't be a foul. It may not even be a foul in the middle of the pitch. I don't think he was saying it was okay to kick someone in the groin, it, but maybe I'm wrong. But that my interpretation was uh, it was harsh on South Africa. This happens outside the area. Uh pre-VAR or even with VAR, uh, no one's even thinking about it. Okay, maybe the Spanish player tries to tries to embellish the thing to get a foul call, but maybe you just play on. I think that was his point. But uh, thanks for raising this because it's making me think again about that broadcast and, again, all the VAR controversies. Next up is Nick Lukes, and he, was, he says, uh, I was surprised you didn't give a better chance to DAZN to grab the rights to either La Liga or Bundesliga rights on your recent podcast. John Skipper is a known soccer fan. He has tons of money to spend, and they have a billion, billionaire owner um, that's, uh, that, that, that's dead set on breaking through in the U.S. And now the Bundesliga will leave Fox to sign with IMG to ship their rights. Skipper has to have a good past history with them, right? Another sign of a move to all streaming. So, so the reason, Nick, that we weren't high on or big on the uh, zone uh, for La Liga and the Bundesliga is La Liga, especially. La Liga is looking for a partner that covers all bases, that gives them access to free-to-air television on the English side uh, and the Spanish side, as well as a, str- a strong streaming platform. Uh, otherwise, they would just stick with being sports. I mean, for the next for the next right cycle. So they're looking for a player that has that that checks off all those boxes. It's very difficult to find somebody that has that. Um, same thing with the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga now, while they have access to free to air television through Fox right now, uh, they may feel that um, they can't go all streaming because that really limits the growth of their uh, distribution for for growth of the league among fan bases in the United States. They have to have access to definitely cable television in terms of broadcast, but uh, free to air, and I'm sure they would they would push for that. So that's why we're not not hot on DAZN because DAZN right now does not have the partnerships with the TV side. Now, if uh, if La Liga said, okay, we want to have a streaming partner uh, exclusively for streaming, and then we're going to sell the rest of the TV stuff to the English side and the Spanish side to other partners, then that changes things. Then DAZN becomes a, a uh, 
not a sure bet, but definitely a, a leader uh, in terms of trying to grab those rights. Uh, same thing with the Bundesliga. What has been happening with DAZN quite a bit uh, recently, uh, we saw this with the Asian Cup too, is they wait until the very, very last minute when it looks like no one's acquired the rights. And then they, they grab the rights usually a day before the tournament starts or that, the day of the tournament. And I think we've seen that DAZN picked up some rights, I think, for Copa America just uh, about a week ago, just as the tournament was getting ready to start overseas in, in a different market. And that's their strategy, So they're, which I'm sure they're getting those rights pretty cheaply. Uh, and that's a way to build that audience. Again, it's not in the U.S., it's outside the U.S., but it's a good way to, to not spend a lot of money but pull in an audience. For La Liga, the Bundesliga, it's really more up to La Liga and the Bundesliga what they want to do. But um, I see DAZN being a big player in the future, uh, especially in streaming soccer, but they're not there yet. And maybe La Liga, maybe the Bundesliga might be it. I, I just don't think so, unless they can get a TV partnership deal or ha- have some type of agreement with a TV company where they're going to be working hand in hand. Last but not least, Kartik, this is the last comment uh, from the uh, listener mailbag. Nick Belmonte says, uh, why in the U.S. do we refer to the senior squad as the U.S. men's national team, USMNT? I have been a follower of the game for a while. I have never heard that national team tag applied to any other nation. What's uh, Do you know the history of this one, Kartik, and when this kind of really took off? Because it, it is different. You, mean, you look at... Uh, I don't know, England or France or other countries. And, uh, I mean, Americans love acronyms, but but this is an example where there's a differentiation between the women's team and the men's team. Correct, for that reason, because I think... um we have, again, been a leader in women's football. Uh, it's been really big since the 99 Women's World Cup. I know the U.S. won the first Women's World Cup in 91. People weren't really paying attention then. But um, it, it, there became a differentiation because when you talked about the U.S. national team, a lot of times at that at that point, and even the term World Cup, we were talking about the women's game because the women's game was so far ahead of uh, um, uh, of where the men's game was in terms of just interest and, 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 and prominence uh, or our prominence. So I think that there was this differentiation. Now, where it gets confusing is with the youth national teams, the U-20s, the U-17s, what do you refer to them as? And recently, the acronym USYNT has become more in the mainstream. I remember uh, 12 years ago when our friend Thomas Rangan, Thomas Rangan was managing the U.S. Uh, under-20 team in the World Cup in Canada. The U.S. did very well, under-20 World Cup, uh, beating Brazil in that tournament, uh, winning their group. Uh, a team with Josie Altador, Freddie Adu, Michael Bradley, among others, uh, Dax McCarty, etc. Uh, we used to refer to the team as the US M&T U20 uh, or US M&T U17. Then suddenly, um, this US YNT acronym became uh, a differentiator between that and the U.S. men's national team, uh, senior team, which I think then was partly what you say. Americans love acronyms. <laughs> and, and the reason for that, I mean, just as one example is uh, ATM, uh, you mean, for you mean, a machine that can take money out. Yeah. And, and in England, it's a cash point. You mean so? It, but but that, that's a whole other story. I can go other examples too. All right. So you can... I love uh, whenever I see an American reporting of, uh, uh, and I think maybe they're doing this in Britain now too. But of of a match that goes into extra time, it's always you know uh, whatever one two AET. If <laughs> it's an American site, so that's another acronym after extra time. I think in the UK they'll just say uh, full time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
So you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com in the comments section, and we would love to read those out on air. So any questions you have, any feedback, uh, anything that's been bothering you or you want to agree or disagree with any of our opinions or uh, continue the, the, the discussion, Go ahead and post it, and uh, we'll pick out the best ones for the next episode. So, Kartik, uh, before we move on uh, to the closing, some big news from you. I, I, I was on uh, Nick Gieber's show this past week, and uh, he said to me off air, he said, uh, Chris, uh, thank you so much for uh, letting me uh, have Kartik. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he said, well, haven't you heard? Kartik is going to be the co-host of the uh, Fifth Street Sports uh, Daily uh, soccer news discussion show that's on Sirius XM and Sports Byline. I was like, wow, congratulations. I mean, you were on vacation, so I wasn't able to get in touch with you to con- yeah. con- congratulate you in person. But congratulations. And any uh, any other information you can share with the listeners so that they can uh, know where to find you on a daily basis? Yeah, I, pr- I appreciate it. I had actually tried to contact you before I left, and uh, and you hadn't picked up. I think you were doing something else, uh, which maybe we'll talk about in the future on the show. Um yeah, so it's 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time uh, every night, uh, well, every weeknight, Monday to Friday, uh, on uh, Sports Byline Radio Network, Sirius XM 211, and on American Forces Radio. We also podcast a show on uh, on SoundCloud. It's Nick Eber and myself. Nick Eber, many of our listeners are probably familiar with, former host of um, uh, World Soccer Daily uh, back in the day. Uh, if your if your soccer fandom extends more than a decade back, you remember that was the soccer show in this country. So a great honor. Thank you, Chris. I, I appreciate it. And uh, uh, we're, we're looking to, to have a lot of fun on that show and have some interaction. We take callers. Uh, I know uh, Ray, Ray Orozco, who writes, uh, who listens to our show, uh, also listens to that one, calls in often. So uh, check us out Monday to Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Yeah, and also Nick Gieber of uh, Fox Football Friday fame. So, yeah, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the show, definitely check it out. Uh, Kartik will be back with us every Thursday as we go through and talk about the soccer media side of business. But uh, in terms of guests, they have some great guests on the show, uh, cover a lot of different angles, and uh, I highly recommend it. So definitely check it out. All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audioboom, Overcast, which is new, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, heading into Women's World Cup, Copa America, Gold Cup, uh, I think Major League Soccer's back soon too. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, there's a whole ton of stuff happening. What should they do? Enjoy your football. <laughs>